Hey everyone, Ben here. Just a quick note to say that we recorded this episode several months ago, but I didn't get my act together to edit it until just now, so you may hear some outdated references to current events. Sorry about that. Happy holidays, and without further ado, enjoy the show. Try to get back into that podcasting (laughs) headspace. Absolutely. Yeah, clear the dust out of the pipes. Uh, Get get back into that place where we we know what a show is and how we do it uh a place we've never really been Lincoln to be it, honest a place that, true I, you know what there was like a a, a two-month streak that we had where we did something like you know three episodes and that was pretty cool <laughs> we were on fire <laughs> but what? this is what <laughs> <laughs> We're really going to be fucking great at this. Lincoln yeah. and Wells. Yes. Broadcasting to the Panhandles of America and to the Panhandlers of America. Uh, I hope you're doing well in these dark times. It's our second. Uh, I mean, uh, we know that they're, they're not. We. Well, God, I know. I know. But <laughs> I wanted to be optimistic that maybe maybe their pans are being handled well. I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, this is Lincoln and Wells. It's a, a biannual podcast event. <laughs> it is. Oh, that's no good. Uh, but yes, no, a biannual podcast event. It is our second coronavirus era episode uh, and our second uh, scoundrel cast episode. We call them scoundrel casts when we do those. I don't know. I can't remember. What we, I know. don't I don't I guess, love it. I think we should workshop it a little more, but uh, yeah, 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 I did yeah. think I but, did think our previous hmm. scoundrel episode was our best one. So I think Absolutely. it's good that we're going back to the well. Right, right. Although I you know, I did hear a lot of good feedback about us uh just ranting about tailspin for a half an hour on our last episode. So that was pretty you good. Know, Maybe <laughs> maybe we're a tailspin fan cast now. And uh, you know, just while we're while we're getting into it here, we should uh shout out our sponsor, stamps.horse. Uh, oh my god, the, stamps.horse. With the US Postal Service in collapse, they're really it's time for stamps.horse yeah. to gallop into the void. And absolutely taking advantage of our national crisis to uh to canter on in and uh, and deliver the mail that needs delivering at a reasonable price. Yeah, we're talking uh, about saddlebags full of uh, uh, mail-in ballots. Absolutely, and absolutely. And the uh, horses won't eat that many of them. 
some. No, sure. it's true. It's but, true. Look, they tried their feedback uh, model originally for the mail imbalance. That did not go well. But yeah, uh, the nosebag voting isn't. It's not catching on. But mm-mm, mm-mm. Uh, <laughs> yeah, stamps. The, the only way to get non-regulation stamps delivered via horse. I, I think they're looking into <laughs> pack mules as well. Look, look, they don't discriminate. A pack mule is, it's basic, just, it's just a, it's a bad horse. It's a horse that's gotten a little it's bit kind of a, off. an inferior horse. Yeah. 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 Lesser horse. It's, it's the so economy idea. package really is what it is. The economy horse. Abs- yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> economy horses. Uh, so, uh, Ben, Ben Miller, what do you, what do you know about William Cunningham? God, I know nothing about him, but I have a feeling it's going to be good. I'm, I'm fingers crossed. So we'll be talking today about William Cunningham, uh, AKA the ghoul, AKA old man dead. AKA Old Cunny. So See, that's yeah, yeah. <laughs> Off to a bad start with well, those. Nicknames. Well, just um, you know, it's a, it's a rule of thumb for a scoundrel that they have to have at least three AKAs. Absolutely, so, absolutely. So and Bill's in the clear on that. And let's just say, look, I recognize that that it may be unpleasant to listen to a podcast where. Uh, a man named Old Cunny is referenced a lot. I want you to know it's even worse because he was a he was a 19th century Ohioan, and so like it was it was so much worse for him then. Um, but uh, as as the name the Ghoul might suggest, uh, he was an infamous resurrection man uh, from Cincinnati. Uh, so I'm sorry, a, a what uh, here? A resurrection man uh, is the is the uh, the polite term for it, um, a, uh, a grave robber, but yeah, um, he was a grave robber from, from Cincinnati. Um, in fact, he was, uh, used as a boogeyman by, uh, Cincinnati parents for, uh, a long period of time in the, uh, late 19th and early 20th centuries. You know, if you don't, if you don't go to bed, old man dead's going to come for you and, and I guess first kill you and then dig up your body. Um, but, but unlike I guess a little most, bit of background. Unlike most boogeymen, he was real and actually did that. Yes. Now let's let's be clear. Um unlike uh Burke and Hare, who were the uh the sort of most famous, I guess, resurrection men. They were uh, Scottish uh grave robbers who uh when they couldn't uh find bodies to um you know uh dig up would make their own. Uh, and then eventually, you know, one was hanged for murder. Um, uh, as far as I can oh, tell, God, I thought, old man when did. you said, when you said make their own, I, my mind was like groping for a way to explain that. And I was going to more of like a Frankenstein kind of direction. Like they were, uh, yeah, you know, maybe sewing together, I mean, like, but you're just saying they, they killed people. 
Yeah, yeah, they were murderers. Um, right. <laughs> we don't, we don't mean, I mean like, Occam's razor, right? Yeah. Now, I mean, um, so I guess for our listeners who may not um, be very familiar with the whole like grave robbing scene of the 19th century, a little bit of background. Uh, basically, um, the reason that you'd rob graves uh, is mainly because uh, med students needed to dissect uh, bodies uh, to learn about anatomy, uh, but. Um, it was illegal to dissect bodies. And so there was no you know, legal way for them to retain them and grave robbers would be there to fill in those gaps. Hmm. Um, I was just thinking, you know, if, if you, if you think our healthcare system's broken now, my God, I know it, it, um, to an incredible degree. Uh, but um, uh, Cincinnati in the 19th century um, was apparently a, uh, a hub for medical science. Um, there were uh, 13 medical schools that operated in the city between 1820 and 1880. Uh, I read one account that said there were five actual medical schools and there were eight iffy ones. Fly by night. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Hollywood upstairs, uh, medical school, uh, type, type places. And none of them were actually allowed to have cadavers to learn on. Um, my understanding is that is the case. It may just be that they weren't allowed to obtain the cadavers, but it was fine once they had them. <laughs> it's kind of a possession is uh, nine tenths the law. Possessing a dead body is nine tenths right? of having a dead body. Right, right. And uh, like, you know, I, I will note that the Wikipedia page for this um, said that there was a significant need for corpses, but grave robbing was illegal in Ohio. This is on William Cunningham's page. I'm not sure why Wikipedia need to clarify that grave robbing was illegal in Ohio, as opposed to the sort of like understanding that, yeah, but you don't dig up dead bodies in the dark of night <laughs> anywhere, really. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, you know, um, so that, you know, that gave rise to um, professional resurrection men, right? Gra- a lot of resu- uh, a lot of uh, grave robbers who were, um, you know, uh, very, uh, very popular, skilled at what they did. Um, well liked. Oh, very well liked. Uh, folk heroes, one and all. Actually, it is. It is sort of odd. The um, the idea of uh, I don't know. They're not quite uh, folk heroes, but people do seem to enjoy them a lot more than you'd think. But the one thing, the one tangent I needed to go off on is the um, the Philip K. Clover coffin torpedo. Uh, yes, <laughs> which. Or are you, uh, sorry, uh, are, are you familiar with the uh, Philip K. Clover patented coffin torpedo? No, but I need to become familiar with it immediately. Yeah, yeah. Uh, grave robbing was such a problem in the uh, latter half of the 19th century in the United States that um, there were a number of patents out on uh, like coffin defense systems. Uh, and uh, And one of them is Philip K. Clover's coffin torpedo which um, was essentially um, a, uh, a spring-loaded um, bomb that would fire out uh, into the air as soon as someone opened the lid of a coffin. So you would arm it, bury the person, and if a grave robber came by, uh, it, would, it would fire a, a bomb at them. Um, if you open the lid. Uh, that was only one. Yeah. If you open the lid. If you open the lid. There's uh, numerous reports of uh, deaths uh, from the uh, coffin torpedo. Uh, there's also um, a, uh, uh, I mean, there were numerous patents, actually. Um, Philip K. Clover's was 
well, the only one called the coffin torpedo. But um, he also, uh, I mean, there was also like a, a landmine shaped one that would, uh, if you hit a tripwire um, over a grave, um, it would uh, <laughs> it would fall down from a from a tree above you and blow up. So, was there yeah, one that um, um, was there one that like caught your ankle in a loop of rope and 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 uh, <laughs> yanked you up into the air, or maybe flung you like a trebuchet? Possibly one that just dumped a bunch of honey on you and then also opened up a gate with a bear. So you know. Lots of coffin, coffin anti-theft devices out in the world. Um, there are a lot of great names involved here. Yeah, you got yeah. Philip K. Clover. What was it? Burke and Hare? Burke and Hare. Yeah, were the two, were the two uh, murderers. They're a duo a lot like us. I mean, really, you said it earlier. P- yeah, people like absolutely. them more than you think. And uh, right, that right. could yeah. really be the Lincoln and Wells motto. Absolutely. I'm sure Burke and Hare's mothers listen to their podcasts. So, so on to old cunning or, you know, maybe for the sake of our listeners and, and our rating on iTunes, let's, let's just call him old man dead because that's a terrible name also in its own way. Uh, by the way, uh, when I was doing research for this, I forgot his, his, you know, given name, William Cunningham. So I had to start by just Googling, uh, old man dead and that gets you a lot of bad results (laughs) but okay so he was born in ireland maybe in 1807 there's a lot of uh there's about an 11 year span of time that his life may have um covered towards the end where did he die at age 50 did he die at age 61 we're not really sure. So he Does he live to this day? He, yeah, I mean, you know what? He might. He lives in the hearts and minds of terrified Cincinnati children, full of their, full of their terrible, terrible chocolate chili. Born in 1807, active from 1855 to 1871. Uh, he maybe fought in the Mexican-American War. Not sure. Um, and uh, really, the only thing that we know about him officially, other than, like, eyewitness accounts and sort of the accounts of his friends is that when a census worker um, contacted him, uh, he uh, said that he drove an express wagon, which was not untrue. Uh, that sounds are, like, um, sounds like something stamps.horse would, would want to get into maybe. Absolutely. Absolutely. Fully know what an express wagon is, but it sounds charming. Yeah, I mean, I my my understanding of it, and this is not based on research, this is just based on gut feeling, is that it is like a carriage, but it goes too fast to be safe. It's, it's, it's good. like a, it's like a, a yeah. <laughs> it's good to have a gut feeling about carriages and wagons. And right, right. Conveyances of other uh, sort, wish, traps. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, wish, I wish this was a bit where, like, I was saying that I've got a gut feeling about carriages, but... I think that may be a real honest to God, true thing about me. All we really know about him is kind of like, like Jesus. There's a missing, a missing period of his life. Um, Yeah. yeah. And all we know is that he claimed to be driving a wagon. Yep. Yep. Um, And you will find that he did in fact drive a wagon, but probably not for the same verse as most people did. Right. Um, 
the good thing about my scoundrel cast this week is that there were a couple of articles uh, about him. Um, there was a lot of info, and uh, there will be some really good uh, quotes from the Cincinnati Inquirer of the 1870s, um, which described uh, Cunningham thus. To have seen Cunningham is to retain him in your memory for a lifetime. For that ponderous yet gaunt frame, that villainous bald head fringed about with silver gray, that strong marked face corrugated with age and crime, a canine mouth from the corners of which slowly trickles the generous saliva impregnated with the juices of nicotine and that shuffling gait caused by a broken leg received from a charge of buckshot constitutes a tout ensemble sufficiently striking to make a very vivid impression. Jesus was... (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Was Wilkie Collins their crime beat reporter? Who, who is this genius? Right? So, yeah, no, I know, I know. They, unfortunately, that was not quoted. Otherwise, I'd you know we'd be doing the scoundrel cast on him. But uh, yeah, so he's he's gaunt and bald. He's got a dog mouth that leaks tobacco juice, and uh, he limps. Uh, but the yes, face, it's amazing. Uh, the face corrugated with crime is just yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's very masterful and, and really just shows you how far we've come because we know today that the mark of true criminality and depravity is a face that is too smooth. Uh, it's why Mads Mikkelsen keeps being cast as villains, right? Too smooth a face is a problem. So, you know, back back in the last century, I guess the century before last, we should we should all note corrugated with crime. It's the reverse of what it is now. So um, for a period of time, he was supposed to have resurrected about a uh, hundred bodies a year. Uh, he definitely referred to them as stiffs. So, uh, so that's pretty cool. Uh, but about a hundred stiffs a year were uh, dug up. Um, and uh, I guess slight second tangent here, the, uh, uh, the grave robbing scene in like big um, medical cities like Cincinnati or like Edinburgh where, uh, where Burke and Hare were like, Real, uh, like real weird lengths because, um, you know, as it turns out, you can't really, uh, you can't dig up bodies in the summer because they're just going to go bad fast. (laughs) And in a lot of these places, you can't dig up bodies in the winter because the ground will freeze and it'll just be too hard. So you've got like a, a very small window. I, uh, someone was saying like September to early November was the, was the window for grave robbing. Grave robbing season. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But like a hundred bodies in that, in that season, that's, uh, it's impressive. Um, and, and it uh, sounds like, uh, it sounds like there was a kind of a grave robbing community. So you're out there, you know, of an evening in the local cemetery and are there guys just all over kind of racing to get to the freshest graves. I mean, what are we talking about here? So. Or do you kind of have a turf? Ah, well, he worked with a small crew. He couldn't do it just on his own. So he was like, a, you know, the, the team leader on a, on a, 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 a crack grave robbing force, but I see. Um, the cunny crew, um, but like a cunny crew. Absolutely. Um, you know, Cunny Crew, if this podcast uh, starts getting more and more riddled, is definitely going to be a second sponsor we're going to have to take on. Um, 
which is unfortunate because we definitely don't want that, but we'll have to. Um, but uh, yeah, so um, uh, but like you know, the 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 scene was rough. Like people would apparently like uh, send um, uh, like professional mourners to to uh, to funerals to like <laughs> case the case the joint, case the grave. Wow. Um, beforehand, yeah, yeah. Um, remember, because there are five real med schools and eight shitty med schools <laughs> in Cincinnati. And all those med students, good or bad, do need to cut up a lot of bodies. So, uh, you know. So the the people who the people who who went to the fake med schools are they are they like doctor with an E or how do you how do you know whether they went to the good I one or the fake I think, one? I think if you're from Cincinnati, you probably you know you read it and you go like, oh, we can't have you at our hospital. But if you move to Kansas City no one's going to say a thing. Right. Who's to say? (laughs) Absolutely. Um, Although, yeah, but so these, in fairness, if you moved to Kansas city, you could just say you were a doctor if you hadn't gone to any medical school. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, all you'd have to do is kind of ether people. So it'd probably take them years to figure out what you were. Right. Right. Uh, On a completely unrelated note, uh, did you know that people used to have uh, ether parties Back in the late nineteenth century, where they just I did because um, I saw a live taping of Sawbones where they talked about it. Oh, you were at that one. I was oh, at hey, that one. That's is that where cool. you learned about it. That is also where I learned about it. Yes, yeah. um, just about the ether frolics. Right. The ether frolics. Yes, absolutely. So, moving on, hundred stiffs a year, sold them for thirty dollars a piece. Apparently, that is the equivalent of eight hundred twenty-three dollars in twenty nineteen dollars. So, uh, you know, almost a thousand dollars a stiff, uh, hundred stiffs a year. Uh, that's a significant portion of one's uh, one's income for a two month haul. I would say, um, you know, uh, that's not what I make a semester teaching classes at a university. So, so maybe I should turn to grave robbing as part of what I learned researching this well i don't um, think it could be much worse than adjuncting these days so i it's true it's might want to give it a shot but Oof. now i'm kind of picturing him like is it possible that he lived in like the rich part of town and like when he got home and took off his grave digging clothes he put on like a fine brocaded suit and hosted uh, fancy soirees or anything like that as far as I know, no. And some of the stories do imply that he lived in a uh, a fairly impoverished part of town with his wife, uh, uh, Mary Cunningham, who who did in certain moments help him with his uh, with his trade. But and we will get to her a little bit later. Uh, but uh, but that I guess I'm, suit is. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm just slightly disappointed that he wasn't living some kind of fabulous double life. Uh, you know, the fact that he wasn't posing, he wasn't posing as a nobleman and his wife knew about it. It's just, you know. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's rough, but consider, consider this. If you have a villainous bald head and a canine mouth, it's really hard to pose as a, as a genteel man. Mm. Like his, his face was literally corrugated with crime. Like you gotta... That's you know that's a tough life. You gotta you gotta buy a mask if you want to do anything with that. 
It's tough. Yeah, it's um, tough to make your your entree into society when you when you're dealing with a handicap like that. Although you just mentioned the mask, and that's actually he really should have thought of that if he had gotten some sort of uh, you know uh, Phantom of the Opera thing going, he could have really. Oh yeah, yeah. Just cleaned I, up. Yeah, absolutely. I guess probably the coarse Irish accent and the hideous manners would have given him away. Right, right. Um, and you know, uh, I, I will go on to. I will say that he was uh, he was known uh, to the authorities and to the community. Um, uh, the buckshot that was in his uh, hip that gave him that limp uh, was from being shot at while speeding away in his wagon from a graveyard. So, like, he had a lot of tangles with Johnny Law. I guess you did already uh, explain that even the children of Cincinnati knew him by his Christian name. So, yeah, it was probably kind of hard for him to go under the radar. How was he not simply apprehended? Well, he was many times, actually. (laughs) And uh, the information that I found on that basically said that he was often arrested by police. And he had a trick for getting out of it, which um, in these in these days of, um, you know, like uh, calls for racial justice and defunding the police, you was reading this and sort of going, man, I, I wish the police were this this pliable today uh, on his way to jail. Uh, he would convince them there was uh, like a nearby bar. And uh, what he'd do is he'd say, like, let's just go stop and get a drink and they'd get a drink. He'd buy them a couple of rounds and then he'd give a speech about how he was a changed man and his brush with the law had really taught him the value of doing good. And the police would let him go. And then he'd go from there right back to the graveyard and finish his excavation. So, uh, <laughs> oh man, those were the days when you could just convince the paddy wagon to stop off for a cold one. Right, right. <laughs> And the way I heard it, this was not a one-time occurrence. So, like, there was just a – it was his regular, like, this is how I get out of tickets for grave robbing. Just <laughs> buy him a drink and tell him, tell him I'm reformed. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, yeah. So, uh, apparently – and I, I have another quote here. There was a specific technique that he used to get his bodies out for sort of maximum efficiency. Uh, and this was, this was a, a, a secret informant for the Inquirer at the time who, uh, you know, came clean about, about Old Man Dead's uh, corpse removal system and said, they don't really open the grave. They simply dig a hole about two feet square over the head of the coffin. When they get to that, they break out the coffin head and fasten the big hooks to which strong ropes are attached under the arms of the corpse and haul it out by main force. Oh, that's so much worse than anything I could have imagined grave robbing was. Right? It's like the same thing that you use to pull like a tree stump out with your with your mop truck. <laughs> oh, Jesus. How was um, there anything? I hope they didn't like need to dissect the, the rotator cuffs or anything because there wasn't going to be anything left after yeah, that. Yeah. Well, you if if you need rotator cuffs, you just talk to the grieving, the fake grieving widow that goes to the poorhouses and claims unclaimed bodies, weeping over them, saying they're her dead husband, and then delivers them to the medical school. Apparently, that was another very common trick for your lady grave robbers. I guess this is why we knew very little about the shoulder until recently. It's kind of a absolutely right medical mystery. Yeah, the scapular vortex they used to call it, um, <laughs> but you know, like. 
the farther we get into this, the more I'm actually thinking like, you know, actually as uh, silly as that uh, coffin torpedo sounds, I'm actually starting to see its, its utility in this instance. Um, I absolutely <laughs> would have uh, sprung for that. Right. I mean, but let's also, let's also think about this. It's the 19th century. How many times do you think a coffin torpedo went off just at someone else's funeral nearby? You're just like <laughs> they're halfway through the Lord's prayer, and there's just a like a, a muffled whump from about fifty feet away, and the yeah. the earth jumps yeah. five feet. Yeah, I mean you're making like, a you're making a devil's bargain when you go in for the for the clover uh, coffin torpedo, right? Because what you're trying to prevent is your corpse from being desecrated. But right. the compromise you're settling for is desecrating your corpse and killing the guy who's trying to desecrate your corpse. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> absolutely. It's uh, yeah. And, and, you know, like, no, no goddamn doctor is going to get their hands on my corpse. If there is no corpse anymore, they can't possibly dissect it. I'll be um, damned if anyone's going to learn anything from me. They didn't while I was alive, and they're not going to learn while I'm dead. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, I also was reading another article about like how cemetery uh, uh, garden parties were popular during this time, where like wealthy folks would like go for a stroll in a cemetery and like have a little picnic uh, in the summer months. And um, knowing that, that that is going on simultaneously with the rise of the coffin torpedo feels like just a real recipe for, for graveyard mayhem. Like it's just, <laughs> there's a certain point where everyone's just like, you know what? We're not going to go anywhere near a graveyard for any reason. Uh, so I've got some specific instances of, uh, of sort of popular moments in his life and, and grave robbing uh, exploits. Um, so um, uh, this is very mysterious because all the articles I found simply say, uh, said that medical students played a prank on him once. We don't know what the prank is, uh, but medical students played some kind of prank on him. And uh, his response was to the next body he shipped to them, he made sure was one infected with smallpox. <laughs> so <laughs> he, uh, he was a real stand-up dude. Uh, just It's not, uh, I mean... It's not really a an unerring sense of the proportional response, is it? Right, right. No, <laughs> no. Like, <laughs> oh no, you know, we 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 dipped your hand in water, you made you piss your pants, and now we've died of smallpox. So um, that is that is apparently one story about him. Another story about him is that uh, uh, he apparently didn't just like deliver them to the medical in Cincinnati; he also shipped them out to other cities. And uh, so there's one story about a, um, an American Express office that he showed up to uh, with a, uh, a large, um, you know, coffin-shaped box marked glass, handle with care. And uh, it, was, it was addressed to a, a Dr. Hardy in Leavenworth, Kansas. Um, and uh, and the, the article I read said that Old Cunny wanted the box sent COD with a $30 fee returned to him. Um, but as Cunningham groaned, <laughs> drove off, the clerk uh, was suspicious because he had seen that, that face corrugated with crime. So he, uh, he violated his sacred postal oath, opened the box, discovered a body, um, the corpse of a woman uh, hastily embalmed and packed in sawdust, uh, says this article. 
Um, and uh, the clerk sent a porter to uh, Cunningham's address. Um, uh, and I guess we can, you know, we can check this out. And it says his uh, address was uh, the northeast corner of Central Avenue and 8th Street, right behind the old city hall. So maybe he did live in a fancier part of town. I could be wrong about that. If it's the old city hall, then, uh, you know, the city hall had probably moved down to greener pastures. So maybe right. maybe it had Fair gone enough. to seed by that point. But I, I assume he got out of this by taking, taking the porter and the clerk out, out for a beer and uh, explaining why he was a changed man. <laughs> Yes, yes, he had gotten that. Yeah, no, uh, so here's, there's a quote from him here. I don't know why uh, we have this quote or its veracity, but it was quoted in the article that um, uh, it says, Old Cunny was not amused, which... <laughs> uh, so I'm going to do this in my best coarse Irish accent, uh, which, again, is, is very non-offensive. Um, what in the hell's the matter now? Have the police been smelling around? I don't see how that job smelt already, for I only syringed her out last night. Uh, oh, God. It's just, it's just the worst. Oh. And, um, and the porter assured him the police were not involved uh, and um, uh, basically said, no police, but we're not going to ship this. And apparently his response to that was, oh, is that all? I don't care a damn if that's all, but I don't see what in the hell's the use of making a fuss about this thing because I've shipped more than a hundred of these things away this summer by the American Express. I can damn soon have her away, only you didn't know that I didn't want no perlice mixing up in this thing. Uh, perlice is spelled uh, P-E-R-L-I-C-E. So I don't know why uh, that is the one piece of dialect that this quote has, but... <laughs> <laughs> but well, I... Yeah. What what I can say is that uh, I'm pretty sure you've just ruined the sponsorship deal I was working on with American Express. God damn it! <laughs> to to finance our next ten city tour, but um, right, right. I mean, especially you know, look. You know, I've heard that most like entertainment venues aren't booking people these days. So like the the field was wide open if we got that capital. Well, I know if, if you remember last time we uh, we were trying to move in on all the uh, all the uh, podcast celebrities dying on that cruise ship. That's right. And uh, then right. I think in the end they survived, unfortunately. But now, yeah, I mean, all the biggest venues are ours for the taking. Man, we could play at the Wiltern or the whatever theaters exist in other cities that are famous that I can't think of right now. Another trick that he would play is uh, trick. I say trick. Another business practice of his was he would sell um, a cadaver to a medical school, uh, wait until nightfall, steal the cadaver out of their morgue, and then sell it back to them. <laughs> uh, so. I love this guy. He's, I mean, this is quite ingenious, really. I mean... Why make um, why make money off of a corpse once if you can make it three or four or five times? Absolutely, they are over a, a, a legal prohibition against dissection sized barrels. So, you gotta <laughs> go. uh, so uh, here's another uh, a, a quote which um, the in- inquirer of the 1870s said was from a very knowing acquaintance about. Uh, maybe my favorite exploit of his, um, 
and it reads, uh, One night, I remember I met Cunny driving into the city with a stiff, and horrible as the sight was, there was something grotesquely ludicrous about it. He had placed the corpse in a sitting posture on the seat behind him, beside him, and had dressed it in an old coat and vest and a played-out hat. Well, he kept his arm round the wrist of the corpse to steady it from the jolting of the vehicle, but every now and then the horrid thing would double up on the seat, and its head kept bobbing up and down in the ghastliest way you ever saw. Then old Cunny would just give a, the stiff a slap in the face and say, Sit up! This is the last time, by God, I'll ever take you home when you get drunk. You ought to be ashamed of yourself, drunker than a biled owl with a wife and child to support. So, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, this is so much better than Weekend at Bernie's. Yeah, no, I'm absolutely. By the way, speaking of, I know that we've got a penchant on this podcast for talking about baseball. You did hear that uh, one of the, uh, I think it was the Kansas City Royals at one of their their socially distanced games where they had the like audience member cardboard cutouts did actually use cutouts from Weekend at Bernie's. I thought you were going to say that among all of the cardboard cutouts, there was one actual dead person and nobody knew how they'd been placed there in a seat in the outfield bleachers, but well, it, was, it was old Cunny getting his revenge. Yeah, exactly. It was that, uh, it was that corpse. He was trying to ship by American express. It finally arrived. Uh, so, um, he died, um, of heart failure. Um, you know, uh, supposedly, uh, nothing, um, you know, nothing too bad came to a, to a, a, a rather, um, you know, un, ungruesome end, um, and uh, uh, although the coroner did say that he had been prematurely aged by his profession, um, and this is this is where yeah. he's in some trouble because because the coroner's like he must have been a man in his mid sixties, and he claimed to be fifty on the census the year before, uh, but also if he was born uh, in uh, you know uh, the eighteen oh seven and died in eighteen seventy one, those dates don't work. So we don't know how old he was. We do know that he was villainously bald. Um. But um, he had, as a final, uh, final act of, uh, of good um, uh, business practices, um, while uh, he was dying, negotiated that his own body would be sold to a medical school for $50. So he, he almost doubled his regular price <laughs> on his own corpse. <laughs> With, um, uh, where, where did the proceeds go? Well, they went to his wife, Mary. And when the medical school came to pick the body up, she haggled with them and sold it for 55. <laughs> so. <laughs> oh, man. Peas in a pod. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely, right? Like, um, I mean, who's to say she wasn't one of the grieving widows that showed up the poorhouses? But um, uh, so the medical students dissected him. Uh, and then after they did so, to honor his legacy, they put him on display for a while. Uh, so I'm guessing this wasn't one of the better medical schools. Probably not. And, uh, at the time that they put it on display, the Cincinnati Inquirer, one last time said of the skeleton, his ghastly skeleton, neatly articulated and wired sits on a tombstone in the cabinet of that institution. While in his hand, he grasps a spade, the emblem of his calling in life between his teeth. He holds a short pipe as he was wont to do in the days of flesh. 
Man, again with the uh, Edgar Allan Poe esque uh, poetry from the Cincinnati Enquirer. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it did send me down sort of a, a, a panicky spiral about like when my own days of flesh are ended, what will people display me as saying I was want to do in life? Mm. Um, but uh, <laughs> I don't have yeah. a dog mouth that drips nicotine, so you know. <laughs> But it does uh, gives you pause to uh, consider the implements that you are often seen with and that people will associate you with in death. Spade Absolutely. and pipe is, uh, is fairly... I mean, honestly, for us, it's going to be iPhone and... It's, it's just going to be iPhone. There's no, just you don't need anything else. Yeah. <laughs> just iPhone. Displayed as he was wont to do in the days of flesh, staring at an iPhone with glazed... angry birds preloaded. Slack expression upon his corrugated brow. So that is that is the story of uh, of William Cunningham, the ghoul, old man dead, old Cunny, the uh, the Cincinnati resurrection man who uh, who really just like showed us that if you try your best uh, and work hard, you can make a, a living doing what you love. I do like that that uh, newspaper uh, columnist referred to it as his calling. Yes. Rather than just, you know, something he was driven to by the desperation of poverty. Um, right, right. Absolutely. <laughs> but again, again, you know. By the sound of it, though, I think he was tr- right. Because yeah. he was clearly gifted. <laughs> he was, he, yeah, he had a knack for... He, he had a, well, I mean, I guess what he, what he had was access to a wagon and some hooks. <laughs> <laughs> and really, what else do you need? Uh, you know, I don't think, uh, I don't think a single spring wagon and, and some hooks are going to get you a hundred stiffs a season. That's just, if I know, true. It's true. if I know my grave robbing and I do, it takes a pretty <laughs> special, special individual to pull those kind of numbers. Right, right. Oh, thank God, thank God. Because you know, we need you know. So the it is a weirdly you know in this time of of desperation where America's at its at its worst in so many ways. Um, maybe it's good to reflect on the story of Old Cunny and how he just he did pull himself up by his bootstraps. He pulled himself out of poverty. <laughs> Truly, a self-made man. Yeah, absolutely. You know, a small family business, he and his wife working <laughs> together to, I feel like th- this is the kind of find that we should, we should hope to get on, on scoundrel our scoundrel episodes, right? The, uh, the, the, the man that you can't help but love, even as he tries to infect medical students with smallpox for an unspecified prank. <laughs> well, I, I think I may have someone, someone in this vein for you next time. Uh, we've talked before about how our, our aesthetic is, it kind of boils down to the dirtbag Gothic. And Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I mean, we definitely got both the dirtbag and the Gothic this time. And, uh, we're going to get it next time too. Very, very different, very different circumstances. But, uh, yeah, I think, I think you're going to enjoy it. We will be back with more, scurrilous deeds by scoundrelly people. Absolutely. And I would say sooner than you think, 
which is a good way of saying <laughs> probably a long, long time from now. <laughs> I really hope it's a lot sooner than uh, this one was from the previous one. <laughs> I'm sorry, sorry, I'm sorry, just one last thing. Old Man Dead is such a stupid nickname. Like, you know, Old Man Reaper, Old Man Grave Robber, Old Man, Old Man Deadly. Those are all things you could say. Old yeah. Man Dead just implies, <laughs> hey, you know that old guy that died? Yeah, that's why we call him Old Man Dead. It's real sad. It's a sad <laughs> story. Yeah, it's it's sort of actually just an onion headline. Right? Yes. <laughs> And it's a click hole headline if you say 26 times you thought about old man dead. Uh, <laughs> right, but, right. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, uh, I am, I, uh, th- this is uh, uh, Abraham Lincoln. Wait, no, wait, that's not how we sign <laughs> off. Fuck, how do we sign <laughs> off? <laughs> you couldn't even get your own uh, alter <laughs> ego right. <laughs> Uh, I'm 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 Orson Welles, and I'm. Wait, do we go by not, I mean, we don't really. I, I'm not Abraham Lincoln, and I've never claimed to be Abraham Lincoln. No. Uh, and this is a rough time to claim to be, you know, Abraham Lincoln. I, I feel like you know, we just we <laughs> well, look yeah. like the people involved, guys. We just <laughs> look like them. It has nothing to do with what we're claiming. We may have done. It has nothing to do with how drunk we get when we film wine commercials. Um, I'm Tyler Dean. What, what's, what? <laughs> there is a, a French style champagne from the vineyards of California. Well, uh, say say hello to your own Mary Todd, and. Uh, <laughs> Oh, God. Uh, and I'll go die alone after recording the voice for Transformers. <laughs> <sighs> well, yeah, I'm going to go out with a bang. Right. This has been, this has been the Lincoln and Wells podcast. I'm, I'm Tyler Dean or Orson Wells, depending on how we normally sign off. And I'm Ben Miller slash Abraham Lincoln slash not really. And, uh, we will be back soon with another scoundrel. Yeah, with a new episode. Yeah. Shit, I really talked over that last thing. <laughs> well, I mean, fuck. we've never not ended one of these awkwardly, so why start now? Why start? Yeah, no, that's true. That's true. We have no intro or outro, and we just, I don't, at this Can point, just... I don't think we're ever going to solve that problem. It's true. Can we just can we just sort of awkwardly talk about it and just you can have us fade out very slowly while the theme song plays, mm-hmm. um, and it'll just be us endlessly trying to trying to end this on the right on the right note. Yeah, I th- that's pretty much what I usually do, and that's probably what I'll do here as well. Right? Oh, thank God! Thank God! Yeah, Cunningham. All right. All right. Thanks. Man. All right.